another 2020 Democrat drops out of the race. And that candidate's failure says a lot about the Democrats' present dilemma. We will examine the fallout as another one bites the dust. Speaking of which, an explosive new book sheds new light on who Jeffrey Epstein was and how he died and if he died. We will get to that. The book just came out yesterday. I've read it and it is pretty wild. Then a transgender woman, which means a man, demands a gynecologist inspect the genitals that he doesn't have. We will analyze why that matters. And Hong Kong protesters find hope in swole Trump. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Swole Donald Trump, an image of Rocky Balboa with Donald Trump's face is a symbol of freedom and hope around the world. What a great timeline we are all living in. Could you imagine a better timeline? I can't. But on that point, on 2020, on the leader of the free world and the hope for the future and the hope for 2020, another one bites the dust. You've probably already seen this going around the internet. Kamala Harris is officially out of the race. You know, it's not significant in terms of the actual election. No one thought that Kamala Harris was going to be able to claw her way out of the 2% in the polls that she had. But it does say something about the state of the Democratic Party right now. The fact that her candidacy flopped, her candidacy, which looked very good on paper, flopped, tells you a lot about where we are. Why did the candidacy look good on paper? Because the left is obsessed with identity politics, racial identity and sexual identity politics. Obviously, Kamala Harris checks those boxes. Uh, the left is obsessed with unfettered immigration. Kamala Harris is the child of immigrants. The, in terms of presidential appeal, in terms of how these races tend to work, if you've been on the scene too long, generally that doesn't bode well for you especially in the Democratic Party. Now think of Barack Obama, right? Barack Obama goes up against Hillary Clinton. We all knew Hillary forever. She'd been around since the dawn of time. She was around St. Petersburg when she felt it was time for a change. So they knew what they were getting in her. Barack Obama, very little was known about him. And, and that actually helped him. He was a better candidate because people didn't know that much about him. They could project their hopes and dreams onto him. Hope and change was the big theme of that campaign. Same thing was true of Kamala Harris. People didn't really know who she was. She was an attractive looking candidate. She sounded pretty good when she wasn't giving that awful cackling laugh. She had been an attorney general. She had been a prosecutor. She had been a senator for about five minutes. Everything looked good about her campaign except ideologically, except ideologically, because Kamala Harris couldn't pick a lane. And this, this could be the name of the 2020 Democratic primary is, can you pick a lane? The pick a lane primary, no one's able to do it. They're all veering left. They're all veering center. Liz Warren, is she going to be a kind of establishment Harvard professor, or is she going to be this radical leftist trying to go to the left of Bernie Sanders? Mayor Pete, is Mayor Pete going to be this radical person saying that if you don't support abortion and gay marriage, you're not a Christian, or is he going to be the moderate guy in Joe Biden's lane? Joe Biden himself, who is the moderate in the race, is Joe Biden going to lean into being a moderate or is he going to support uh, lifting the ban on taxpayer funding for abortion? That's the trouble with this race. And one thing we're seeing is it doesn't hurt you to be in either of those lanes. When Joe Biden is playing the moderate, he generally does pretty well. When Bernie Sanders is playing the leftist, he generally does pretty well. But when you start to veer left and center and left and center, that's when you fall apart. And that's what happened to Kamala Harris. 
Kamala Harris lost because of her own weaknesses. She also lost because Tulsi Gabbard absolutely shanked her during one of the Democratic debates. You can almost pinpoint, there, there are two moments, I think, that you can pinpoint when Kamala Harris's campaign completely fell apart. One of them at the hands of Tulsi Gabbard on CNN. Now, Senator Harris says she's proud of her record as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. When you are in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, oh, you owe them an apology. Tulsi, stop it. Stop it, Tulsi. She's already dead. So this was the attack. The attack on Kamala was Kamala's a cop. Kamala's too tough on crime. Kamala was throwing people into the prison system. That was the attack from the left, which is funny that it's made by Tulsi Gabbard, who is ostensibly more to the right of the Democratic Party on a number of issues. That was the hit that they were putting on Kamala. It worked very well because Kamala played her whole campaign as though she's going to prosecute the case against Donald Trump, right? She's the tough prosecutor. She's the serious candidate. She's, she's not one of these hippy dippy candidates. She's going to be really tough. And what Tulsi Gabbard did is she didn't go for Kamala's weaknesses exactly. She went for her strengths. Kamala's running. I'm the ex-attorney general. I had a good career as a prosecutor. And Tulsi goes for that strength. Now, if Kamala were a smart candidate, she would have leaned into that. She would have said, yeah, damn right I put criminals in jail and I'm going to put the biggest criminal in America who's sitting in the White House, whose name is Donald Trump, I'm going to put that guy in jail. He would have, it would have kind of done what uh, Donald Trump did in 2016, right? Donald Trump in 2016, when Hillary Clinton said, I don't want to live in an America where you're president, Trump said, yeah, that's because you'd be in jail, right? He's like leaning right into it. That's what uh, Kamala Harris should have done. Instead, she didn't. She goes on The Breakfast Club, this popular radio show, and talks about how much she loves smoking joints and blunts and listening to Snoop Dogg. We'll get all uh, to that in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at Bowl and Branch. You know me. I need to sleep about, I don't know, 21, 22 hours a day. Pretty much I go, I kind of get out of my luxurious, nice bed with all my bedding, and I come and do this show, and I go right back into it. It's very important. Most people spend about one-third of their lives sleeping. Make sure that you've got the best bedding. Everything Bolin Branch makes, from bedding to blankets, is made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft, and they get even softer over time. Buying directly from Bolin Branch means there's no middleman, you're basically paying wholesale prices. One thing I didn't know until I was registering for my wedding, luxury bedding can cost a lot of money. Just luxury sheets can cost up to $1,000 in the store, okay? And luxury sheets are amazing. I'm all for treating yourself on these little things. It seems like a little thing, right? You know, sh sheets. Who even thinks about sheets, especially men? 
Men don't think about sheets. But it makes such a difference. It feels so good when you have those really, really high quality sheets. Well, what if you don't have to spend $1,000 on it? What if through Bolin Branch, you can get those sheets for just a couple hundred bucks? Everyone who tries Bolin Branch sheets loves them, including me, especially me. That is why Bolin Branch has thousands of five-star reviews. Shipping is free. You can try them for 30 nights. Makes a great Christmas present. I gave a set of these to my in-laws and it won me a whole lot of points, so highly recommended. If you don't love Bolin Branch, send them back for a refund, but you're not going to want to send them back. No risk, no reason not to give them a try to get started. Right now, my listeners get Merry Christmas, Christmas coming early. You get $50 off your first set of sheets at bolinbranch.com. Com, promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. That is B-O-L-L and branch.com for $50 off your first set of sheets. B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Michael, bolandbranch.com, promo code Michael. So Kamala gets this hit, right? This is the main attack against her campaign. You're a, you're a cop. You're a prosecutor. You're throwing people into prison. Instead of leaning into that, doubling down and saying, damn right, that's my campaign. I'm going to prosecute Donald Trump. I'm going to restore some order and sensibility to America. Instead of doing that, Kamala leans in the other direction and pretends that she's some big pothead when she goes on a radio show. Have you ever smoked? I have. Okay. Like and I, and I inhaled. Did I didn't, I did inhale. inhale. <laughs> inhale. <Okay. laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> But, yes. I know you have to go. They say you have to go. I just want to. I ask. just broke news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, was it in college? Uh huh. See, see, I like stuff like that. That's a real <laughs> honest answer. Uh-huh. Was it a blunt or joint? It was a joint. Hey, yeah. Do you remember the high? <laughs> I do. Has anybody ever talked about smoking pot in a more calculated and less believable manner? Hey, so Kamala, you ever smoke pot? Y- yes. Yeah, is that the right answer? Yes. I've, I, yes, I have smoked the ganja, the old Haitian oregano. You betcha. That Peruvian parsley. Yes, I smoked it. Uh, okay. Uh, you, did you smoke a blunt? Did you smoke a bowl? Did you smoke a bong? Did you smoke a joint? Oh, yeah, I had a joint. Is that right? Yeah, joint. I smoked those jazz cigarettes out in downtown Manhattan. Yes, I did. I, no, like, I, don't, I actually don't even believe she smoked a joint. Just the way she's talking about it, it's so calculated. It's so unbelievable. And then the joke, and I did inhale. You're supposed to inhale marijuana, right? Okay, I inhaled that. I just don't buy it. And then the story gets even less credible when they ask her at the end, well, when you're you're smoking all that pot that you allegedly used to smoke, you know, what kind of music were you listening to? Even that doesn't sound believable. What does Kamala Harris listen to? What were you what listening to when you was high? Uh, <laughs> what was on? What song was it? Was oh, it my goodness. Oh, yeah, definitely Snoop. Uh-huh. Uh, Tupac, Tupac, for sure. For what are you sure. listening to now? Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely, Kamala. You, you, when you were chewing it up, to use Barack Obama's word, you were listening to Snoop and Tupac. And by the way, Kamala, when did you smoke again? Okay, she said she smoked pot during college. She graduated college in 1986, I believe it was years before Snoop or Tupac ever released their first album. It's, that's actually a lie. Now, do you want to know what I actually think Kamala Harris did during college? I think she studied because she's obviously a type A personality. She is ruthlessly ambitious. Ask Willie Brown. I'll just leave it at that. 
she wants to get ahead in her career. I don't, I, I don't know that she's ever smoked pot even once in her life, even to try it, which is fine. I wish her answer to this question, did you ever smoke pot? Like, uh, no, cause I'm not a degenerate. No, I haven't smoked pot. Even though virtually every young American has, I think they would have respected that answer at least. That's an, that's, it, it, there are these two kinds of candidates, right? Candidates who are just trying to pander to you, who want to make you believe that you're exactly like them and they're exactly like you. That's what Kamala Harris is trying to do. Or there are candidates like Donald Trump who says, yeah, I'm pretty much nothing like you. I'm a billionaire playboy. I've never had a drink in my life. I've never had a beer, not even once. And yet, because of that honesty, because of that bluntness, people feel that they have more in common with Donald Trump because he talks like a real human being. He's not just, every time he's asked a question, he's not just trying to think, hmm, what's the way that I'll be most relatable to the person that I'm talking to in this specific audience? He doesn't do that. And that's, so it's much more believable. If they had said, hey, Kamala, do you ever smoke pot? She goes, no, I, I enjoy Chardonnay. That, that's my drug of choice is Chardonnay. Yeah. Who, who do you listen to when you're, when you're drinking Chardonnay? I listen to Brahms and Haydn and Bach because I'm better than you and I'm smarter than you and I study more than you do and I have wanted to be a lawyer and a politician since the day I was born and that's who I am. People would have respected that a lot more. She was disingenuous. She was not believable. She didn't stand for anything. Okay. This, this gets back to advice. I think, I forget if it was President George W. Bush. Some, some people from the Bush era would, would regularly bring this up even when they were talking about, say, the Iraq war, for instance, and all the problems that came with the Iraq war. And the point is, sometimes a wrong decision is better than indecision. People can respect a wrong decision. People can respect a difference. What they can't respect is waffling and wavering and pandering. Rudy Giuliani, I remember when he lost the 2008 presidential race, was when he was asked if he was rooting for the the Red Sox in the World Series. And he said he was rooting for the Red Sox. Rudy Giuliani, a lifelong Yankee fan, mayor of New York, mayor of New York during 9-11. He said he was rooting for the Red Sox. And then he came up with this convoluted logic. He said, because I'm an American League fan. No, you're not. If you're a Yankee fan, you know what your favorite baseball team is? The Yankees. You know what your second favorite baseball team is? Any team that can beat the Boston Red Sox. Simple as that. He, what, he thought he was going to lose all the Massachusetts voters because he doesn't like the Red Sox? They know he doesn't like the Red Sox. He's a Yankee fan. They can respect that. You can respect a difference. You can respect a firm position that someone's holding. How, how many times do you hear this about Donald Trump? You hear people say, I don't really agree with Trump on this, this, and this, but I like that he's honest. I like that he's blunt. I like that he tells me what he thinks. Kamala didn't learn that lesson. There are other, there are other uh, Democratic candidates who have not learned that lesson either. We'll get to that a little bit later, but now that Kamala has bitten the dust. We have got to get to another man who bit the dust, Jeffrey Epstein. There is a bombshell new book. It just came out yesterday. It's called Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. This was in, pardon me, I'm so excited about this. And I'm also a little nervous that the more I talk about this, uh, this episode or this, this book rather, that uh, Hillary Clinton's going to knock down the door and cause me to commit suicide. But it came out yesterday, really good reporters, I think I might be the only person that's actually read the book so far. I read the whole thing yesterday. I couldn't put it down. There is a lot of new information in this book, and it goes a lot further on some of the information that we've heard hints of. We'll get to that in a second. 
we will find out perhaps once and for all the likelihood that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. And if, if he did kill himself, then who, who suicided him? We'll get to that in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at Liquid IV. You might be surprised to hear this, but a lot of people end up more dehydrated during the winter months. Cold weather tends to make us more likely to miss the signs of dehydration and less likely to keep refilling our water bottles. And also people go out really late on New Year's Eve and you know what happens. Liquid IV has the easy, healthy fix for winter dehydration. Many winter sports take place at high altitude where it's much easier to get dehydrated. Liquid IV is the perfect way to stay hydrated on the mountain. So liquid IV has a lot of great uses. One, if you just don't drink a lot of water and you want to stay hydrated and you want to do that in an easier, more efficient way, liquid IV is great for that. If you're an athlete, liquid IV is obviously great for that because it just replenishes you. It's much easier to hydrate. You might have guessed I'm not a huge athlete. I don't go out on skiing expeditions or anything like that. But I do like the occasional adult beverage, you know, a nice glass of scotch or port. And if you go out with the boys, you have one too many. You can wake up with a hangover. I find that liquid IV is just a lovely little drink to have at the end of a night. It really helps to uh, hydrate you. So if you're an athlete, it's good for you. Or if you're a derelict, it's good for you too. Liquid IV is the fastest growing wellness brand. You can find them everywhere, even Costco. You can find their hydration multiplier sold at all Costco's nationwide. Liquid IV can provide the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles of water. It's a healthy alternative to traditional sugary sports drinks. There's no artificial flavors. There's no preservatives like Pedialyte or Gatorade. Liquid IV fuels you through workouts. It helps prevent muscle fatigue. It promotes healthy post-workout recovery. I love it. I know that you will love it too. The Christmas party season is upon us. Be proactive about this, my friends. Or, you know, if you're skiing or doing winter sports right now, my listeners get 25% off at liquidiv.com when you use my promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, at checkout. That is 25% off anything, anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Go to liquidiv.com and enter my promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to get your savings and start getting better hydration. Liquidiv.com, promo code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Do not wait. Start properly hydrating today. This book, actually something of a bombshell. Epstein, Dead Men Tell No Tales. It's written by three investigative journalists, Dylan Howard, Melissa Cronin, and James Robertson. It's important to note the authors because these aren't just total kooks. These are pretty well-known Hollywood reporters. Dylan Howard has been a huge investigator for, for U.S. tabloids and show business papers, U.S. Weekly, National Enquirer, Star, in touch. Adweek called him the king of Hollywood scoops. This guy broke the story of Mel Gibson's audio tapes screaming at his girlfriend. He broke the governor's love child, Schwarzenegger's kid. He broke a lot of Anthony Weiner stories, the Tiger Woods sex scandal, that Charlie Bean, Charlie Sheen has HIV. He's a big deal and he's, he's got a pretty good track record. Uh, Melissa Cronin is another major tabloid reporter and a Harvard graduate. Uh, and Robertson, James Robertson, broke the story of Epstein's first suicide attempt. They, these guys have been investigating Jeffrey Epstein for eight years. They've now put out their uh, book. For, for some reason, no one, no one really has read it. I haven't seen a whole lot of coverage of this book yet so far. 
probably because it just came out yesterday, a lot of salacious details. And it does offer some, some suggestions on big questions. The biggest claim in the book is with regard to Jeffrey Epstein's identity. Who is this guy? How did he get his money? Who was he working for? Was he working for anybody? Was there something bigger going on here than just a wealthy guy running a sex ring? The biggest claim in the book, strongly suggested by the book, is that Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were working for an intelligence service. It was a foreign entity. It was Mossad, the Israeli intelligence apparatus. That is probably the most consistently suggested point throughout the whole book. What's the evidence for it? Well, Ghislaine Maxwell, who was Jeffrey Epstein's madam, her father, Robert Maxwell, almost certainly worked for Mossad. Rafi Eitan, who's a famous Mossad agent, says that, that Robert Maxwell worked for Mossad. Other people have backed that up. The British Foreign Office believed that Robert Maxwell was a foreign spy. Uh, Ari Ben-Manash, who's a former Israeli spy, who says he was the alleged handler of Robert Maxwell, says that Maxwell introduced Epstein to Mossad. How did this happen? Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell took a shine to one another early on. Uh, Robert Maxwell then allegedly introduced Jeffrey Epstein to Mossad. This is not to say that Jeffrey Epstein was a spy in the traditional sense, that he was, you know, a trained career spy. Actually, what the investigators claim is that Epstein and Maxwell weren't terribly competent. They weren't James Bond exactly, but they were very, very good at socializing. That Epstein had this absolute sixth sense for ingratiating himself to people, for understanding social cues, and that he could just rise through the ranks of any social circle. So because of that, they were very good at blackmailing American politicians and politicians from around the world. Uh, Maxwell also had connections, this is Robert Maxwell, to the Khashoggi family. Now, if that name rings a bell, that's because the journalist, according to the mainstream media in America, really known as the Saudi insider, Jamal Khashoggi, was killed by Mohammed bin Salman in Turkey just last year. I think it was, yeah, it was 2018. Jamal Khashoggi, who the, the West is presenting as this fearless journalist who is really a part of a well-known family in Saudi Arabia and, and worked with the Saudi regime. Robert Maxwell had connections to Adnan Khashoggi, who was obviously very connected to Saudi intelligence. Uh, apparently, the, the, the Maxwells introduced Epstein to Khashoggi. Then Epstein's working with Adnan Khashoggi, who was a major figure in the Iran-Contra scandal in the United States during the Reagan administration, when the United States was selling arms around the world. Epstein was working with Adnan Khashoggi to basically broker these arms deals. Okay, so he's already got these connections, you see, to different uh, intelligence networks, not just necessarily Israel, but also the United States, because the CIA was involved with Khashoggi as well. We know that Jeffrey Epstein was running a blackmail ring. He had cameras fitted out on all of his properties, and they weren't cameras like you see at a, at a grocery store, or the camera sticking out of the wall. These were hidden cameras. They were in clocks. They were in parts of desks. They were very, very well hidden. This was gathering tons of information on high-level politicians, not just in the U.S., but around the world. 
We know that Epstein is connected to the CIA. We know he's connected to MI6, the British intelligence apparatus. We know he's connected to Saudi Arabia. He had a, a, an Australian or an Austrian passport rather that listed him as a Saudi resident. We know that he used that passport to get into the United Kingdom and to get into Saudi Arabia. Who gave him the passport? Obviously it was some intelligence service. Epstein then in the the 80s and 90s boasted that he was connected to the CIA. He was also connected to the CIA because after dropping out of college, he got a job at the Dalton School, a very prestigious private school that had was, was being run and the headmaster had just retired, but he was still very involved, by Donald Barr, who worked with the CIA. And if the name Barr sounds familiar, it's because Barr is the father of the current U.S. Attorney General, William Barr. Lots of weird connections to intelligence here. How did that play out in Jeffrey Epstein's sweetheart deals? How did it play out in his death? We'll get to that in a second. But first, speaking of all this ancient history, all of these various connections between people, you should go check out Ancestry. You know how much I love Ancestry. And I've been using Ancestry since before we had a show, since before the Daily Wire existed. Ancestry lets you trace your family tree. It lets you see all the cool people in your lineage. Ancestry, when you just spit in a tube, send it in, it tells you all about your family's history by analyzing your DNA. It can tell you even how your family moved throughout certain parts of the world. But don't forget, your genes aren't just about you. Genes are something that you share with the people who are closest to you. Uncovering potential health issues early can help empower you with information so you and your family can move toward a healthier future. That brings us to Ancestry Health from Ancestry. Ancestry Health looks at a carefully selected set and gives you insights about how they could impact you and your family. Ancestry Health gives you personalized health reports that are easy to understand you get actionable insights. This is the key. They're not going to tell you about things that you can't do anything about because that that wouldn't seem enjoyable. They'll give you information about what you can act on. That's access to genetic counseling resources, family health history, uh, family health history that allows you to track generations of health. And of course, you'll also receive Ancestry DNA ethnicity results that reveal your origins. I love the service. I've used them for years learn from your genes and take action for your family. Go to Ancestry.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S to learn more and get your Ancestry Health Kit today. That's Ancestry.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Ancestry Health includes laboratory tested, uh, laboratory tests developed and performed by an independent CLIA certified laboratory partner and with oversight from an independent clinician network of board certified physicians and genetic counselors. Ancestry Health is not currently available in New York, New Jersey, or Rhode Island, but everywhere else. Have a good time. So all of these connections to international intelligence apparently got Jeffrey Epstein some pretty sweetheart deals, not just on the sex scandals that came in the mid-2000s and obviously more recently, but even on financial scandals. So according to one of Epstein's ex-colleagues, uh, Stephen Hoffenberg. Epstein was being uh, investigated for financial crimes at Towers Financial in the 90s. The people who were investigating him were two of his closest friends and confidants. How did he hook that up? He happened to just be uh, this mastermind criminal with a lot of information on everybody. So he gets investigated by two people who are close to him. This means that Epstein's colleague, Stephen Hoffenberg, 
ends up in prison with a $1 million fine, $463 million in restitution, 20 years in the clink, Epstein gets off scot-free. By the way, right before his death, Epstein put all of his wealth into a trust that was being controlled by the two men who investigated him and let him off the hook for these financial crimes in the 90s. This raises the question in the book, is Epstein still alive? Epstein gets pinched for fraud and a Ponzi scheme. Again, Epstein gets off scot-free. He actually gets a sort of a promotion because he ends up cleaning up the finances of Lex, Les Wexner, who's the head of Victoria's Secret. During this time, he then ends up renting an apartment for $15,000 a month in New York City, but he doesn't have any money. How does he get the apartment? Guess who his landlord is? The State Department. During this whole time, after Jeffrey Epstein has been discovered to be this criminal, at least in the financial sense, he's renting an apartment from the State Department. Then Les Wexner, the head of Victoria's Secret, buys a major mansion in New York, the Herbert N. Strauss Mansion, buys it for 40 million bucks. It's the biggest private sale ever in New York at the time. He guts it. He installs cameras all over it. He installs a heated sidewalk. Then he just gives it to Jeffrey Epstein. There's no record of any money changing hands during that sale of the property. The transaction was never recorded in New York City records online. Another aspect of all this, when the cops finally raided Epstein's Palm Beach house in 2006, they get there and everybody was totally calm. Epstein wasn't on the property at the time. Everyone's totally calm because the house had already been cleaned out. All those records that they were looking for, already gone. Someone had tipped him off. He obviously had connections to law enforcement. The investigators write that Epstein's lawyers knew about details of the cop investigation ahead of time. He gets the sweetheart deal from the federal government because Alex Acosta, then U.S. attorney, ended up being labor secretary for Trump, went over the head of the investigators to the DOJ, got the case dropped. Even the way it was reported in the press at the time, the New York Times gave a very fluffy report, said, oh, it's, you know, not a big deal. The reporter who wrote that, Landon Thomas Jr., went so easy on Trump, or on, on Jeffrey Epstein, we'll get to how Epstein's connected to Trump in a second, he then got a $30,000 donation from Epstein to a preferred charity of his, and then ultimately left the New York Times under a cloud of controversy. Jeffrey Epstein knew freaking everybody. He knew everybody. The flight log, this is where Trump comes in, the flight logs on his plane, the Lolita Express, include Kevin Spacey, Ralph Fiennes, David Blaine, Courtney Love, Jimmy Buffett, Charlie Rose, Bill Wallace, Bill Gates, Tony Blair, Ehud Barak, former prime minister of Israel, David Koch, the zillionaire conservative libertarian funder, Bill Clinton, former president of the United States, you might recall, Bill Clinton, who flew on that plane 27 times, even though he denied it, Bill Clinton, who went with his wife and stayed at Epstein's properties in New Mexico, and to Donald Trump, except Donald Trump, uh, there's not a lot of evidence that he flew on the Lolita Express plane. Interestingly, of all these very powerful men, the Epstein accusers say they saw Trump a number of times, but they never saw Trump engage in the sexual activities. Even Virginia Roberts, who's the main accuser against Epstein, she says, yeah, I saw Donald Trump, but I never saw him engage in any of the weird sex stuff. But Epstein was close to so many other people. Mohammed bin Salman, who's running Saudi Arabia, who ordered the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, who's the nephew of Adnan Khashoggi. 
When, when Jeffrey Epstein got released from his sweetheart jail sentence in Palm Beach, he had a welcome home party attended by Prince Andrew, Charlie Rose, Katie Couric, Chelsea Handler, the comedian, Woody Allen, and George Stephanopoulos, who's the chief political anchor over at ABC and who was the communications director for Bill Clinton. All of these guys so connected to him, Prince Andrew, according to this reporting, way more involved than anybody had previously thought. And then you get to the weirdest matter of all, which is all the mysterious deaths that occurred just around the time of Epstein getting pinched and Epstein's alleged suicide. We'll get to that in a second. Then we'll get to, speaking of creepy sex stuff, Jessica Yaniv, the transgender activist who is demanding that gynecologists treat the uh, genitals that he does not have. We will get to the world's largest animal sacrifice. We will get to swole Trump. All of that and more, but you must go to dailywire.com. 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. You get the Matt Walsh Show. You get to ask questions in the mailbag. You get another kingdom. The final season, the best season. Highly recommended because actually another kingdom has a lot to do with Hollywood and the creepy, weird sex stuff that goes on here and how that's connected to international leftism. And it's pretty much just about Jeffrey Epstein, even though Drew wrote the book before Jeffrey Epstein was a big news story. Truth is sometimes just as true as fiction, and fiction is just as true as nonfiction. And you get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. You need the Leftist Tears Tumblr, especially as 2020 heats up. Head on over to dailywire.com. We will be right back with a lot more. Just one last note on Jeffrey Epstein and what it might mean for his alleged suicide. There was not just the death of Jeffrey Epstein when we saw the death of Jeffrey Epstein. There were a lot of other people who were close to Epstein who died around that time. So Epstein was terrified that he was going to be assassinated. This has gone on for decades. He had his pilots, when his plane was grounded, drive out to Texas to armor plate his car because he was so convinced he was about to be killed. The guy who owned the company that Epstein's chauffeur worked for, you got to remember, Epstein's chauffeur is working pretty much exclusively for him. He died mysteriously three days before Epstein died. And the people close to him say they have no idea why he died. In 2018, one of the Palm Beach sheriff guys, one of the guys on the case, died suddenly at the age of 50. The age of 50, very young man, just when all this Epstein stuff came about. Died of a very sudden illness that came on quickly and he was dead within six months. Around that same time, a houseman for Jeffrey Epstein who cleaned Jeffrey Epstein's sex toys died of a similar illness, a six-month cancer at the young age of 60. At the same time, one of the victims for the plaintiffs, or one of the lawyers for the plaintiffs rather, died of another quick-acting cancer at age 68. A lot of weird deaths occurring around Jeffrey Epstein at a very early age. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. I always want the simplest answer to the question. Some of these people might have just died. People die. That happens. But as more and more 
of these coincidences start to occur, as more of these connections start to occur, I mean, the connections between Jeffrey Epstein and the intelligence services are undeniable. How do we know that? Because Alex Acosta, the U.S. attorney on the case, actually said that they reduced the punishment for Jeffrey Epstein because he's above my pay grade, quote, he belongs to intelligence. The Jeffrey Epstein was operating an international blackmail ring. All of that seems to suggest not a conspiracy theory, but an actual conspiracy. Why does it matter? Why does this book matter? The book matters because nobody's taking the case seriously anymore. I mean, we joke about it. I've been joking about it all the time. You know, Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. That became a meme. People would add it to normal everyday quotidian conversation. And then they'd end with this non sequitur and Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. And we all laugh about it. We are laughing about it. Sure. Cause it's so funny that no one's talking about Jeffrey Epstein anymore. The guy ran the most notorious sex ring, certainly in modern memory, maybe in an even longer memory. It involved heads of state. It involved some of the biggest names in finance, technology, business, diplomacy. It involved royalty. Prince Andrew, deeply involved in this. And we're all just letting it go. That's it. Jeffrey Epstein dies under suspicious circumstances. Look, he very well might have killed himself. The fact that he was allowed to kill himself is pretty weird. But let's just say he killed himself. Who cares? That's the least suspicious part of the whole thing. Why are we not looking into this anymore? Why is nobody talking about this? Why is it just a joke? We, we have actually seen the most powerful people in the world connected to this guy to a underage sex ring. And by the way, we're not just talking about 16 year olds here. We're talking about like 12 year olds. All right. The evidence uh, from the, just the birth dates of the people who were at Jeffrey Epstein's various compounds show that they were really, really young. All right. Not just junior or senior in high school, young, like middle school, young, like even younger. And yet it's just become a joke that shows you the power of the people involved. The very fact that nobody will take it seriously shows you the power of the people involved. And when we talk about from a political angle, say the deep state or the mainstream media monopoly, the apparatus or big tech, the monopoly they have over information and your information, this is a really good way to demonstrate that power. This story, which is obviously lurid, it has all these sex details, because the story, just like Jeffrey Epstein, is going away. It's biting the dust. It's going down the memory hole. This was a good first step. This book is good. I highly recommend you read it. But obviously, the book, leave, the book gives a lot of answers. It leaves far more questions than answers. We'll have to leave it there with Jeffrey Epstein because we have to talk about more creepy sex stuff, namely Jessica Yaniv, the transgender activist who very famously put immigrant beauty salon workers out of business in Canada because they refused to wax his genitals. He walks in to get a Brazilian wax. This is a procedure that can only be done on women. There is another thing called a manzillion. Let's not explain the details, but it's a different procedure. He goes in there. He says he wants a Brazilian wax on his male genitals. They say, well, that's not possible. And also we don't want to touch your genitals. And he sues them. 
He doesn't sue them. I mean, he files a complaint, which ends up putting them out of business. Now he wants to shut down a gynecologist for not operating on or inspecting the genitals that he does not have. This is what he wrote, quote, so a gynecologist office that I got referred to literally told me today that we don't serve transgender patients and me being shocked and confused and hurt. Are they allowed to do that legally? Isn't that against the practices? Gynecologists form a part of the multi- multidisciplinary team who engage with transgender and non-binary patients, either as part of the transition stage performing surgery or managing pre or post gynecological problems. The uh, Canadian Bureau has confirmed to me that the refusal I've received is discrimination under the BC Human Rights Code. I will file a complaint with you today about that clinic. Okay. At this point, I'm wondering, is Jessica Yaniv just the joker? Is he just this absolute anarchist with an absurdist sense of humor who wants to cause pain to people? I'm beginning to think that. I mean, Yaniv, after he came to the attention of everybody for shutting down these poor beautician's businesses, putting them out of work. He also tried to host a queer kids party. So a party that would be topless for kids as young as 12 years old. That ended up not happening, but he's obviously a provocateur. He's obviously got a screw loof. He was, he was texting young girls, sexting them, very inappropriate conversations. Is he just the Joker? I actually kind of defend the existence of someone like Jessica Yaniv because with Jessica Yaniv, is doing, is testing the boundaries of our new revolutionary society. He's testing the boundaries of leftism. Are we going to put up with this? Is this the society that we want to live in where you're putting gynecologists out of work because they won't operate on men's genitals, where you're putting female beauticians out of work because they won't perform a technically impossible procedure on a man. They won't fondle a man's genitals. Is that the kind of society that we want to live in? That is pretty barbaric stuff. Gets to other kinds of barbaric cultures. You know, our culture is becoming more barbaric. We're getting a glimpse of other barbaric cultures around the world. There was the world's largest animal sacrifice just the other day in Nepal. Hindu worshipers have started beheading thousands of buffalo in Nepal as part of the world's largest animal sacrifice event. It's called the Gadi Mai Festival. Started in the early hours on Tuesday morning when a priest killed a goat, rat, chicken, pig, and pigeon, then cut himself open, offered blood from his own body. There are around 200 butchers using these kukri knives and came to this walled temple and started to behead an estimated 3,500 buffalo. 3,500. You know, they never tell you about this part when you go to buy the yoga mat. There are a lot of people here in the West who really like the idea of Eastern religion and Eastern culture. They never tell you the part about slaughtering 3,500 buffalo with a knife, do they? No, they don't. We can recognize that as barbaric. And yet in our own culture, we're attracted to these sorts of things. We're attracted to primitivism. We're attracted to the idea of the noble savage, being one with nature, following your desires and your appetites as though your desires and appetites will simply lead you in a proper direction rather than following the traditional religion of the West, rather than following the traditional moral order, rather than restraining your desires and your appetites, rather than recognizing mankind as a unity of body and soul, not merely metaphysical, not merely physical. It's actually, it's the same story as the Jessica Yaniv story. 
It's the story of civilization as we know it falling back to long discredited religious views. In the case of transgenderism, the idea that we are not at all our bodies, that we can butcher and mutilate our bodies, the idea that we should just follow our desires to the end no matter what pain that causes to other people. And in the case of this animal sacrifice, obviously, the same thing following a long discredited religion, (laughs) a religious practice rather, this mass animal sacrifice because of some kind of pantheistic or pagan intuitions that human beings have. That's where we're headed. That's when we're, when we're throwing off the yoke of our own traditional culture, something's got to replace that. Everybody's got to serve somebody. Okay. And when we follow the left, which simply wants to destroy. The left simply wants to tear down our tradition. The left simply wants to tear down that which we want to conserve. That doesn't just leave you in a void. That doesn't just leave you floating in space. Something will fill that. Political ideas, cultural ideas, religious ideas. And the left wants to pretend these are all new ideas. They're not. They're the oldest ideas in the world. There's a reason we discarded them in the first place. There's a reason why we developed the civilization we have. There's a reason that we want to conserve it. Maybe we should cling a little more closely to that. Maybe we should try a little harder to conserve that. I mean, you you see this all the way around the world in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong right now, you have the protests against the Chinese government. They've persisted for six months. They've turned violent now. I mean, the Chinese government is clamping down on them. There is a new photo that has emerged, a new image that has emerged for the Hong Kong protests. It's an image of Donald Trump's head on Rocky Balboa's body. They're calling it swole Trump. And they are using this unironically as the image for the protest. What does it mean? It means that the traditional image of America is still a hope to those seeking freedom from tyranny. That's the conservative image. They wouldn't be holding images of swole Obama. There's no such thing. It means that manliness is still a virtue. It's not toxic. It's not toxic like the left says. It means that eternal truths still hold. It means that the people who are protesting in Hong Kong, really protesting tyrannical government, they recognize the worth, the value of our civilization and our culture that we're just throwing away to the left. You know, Hong Kong was a westernized city until the late 90s when the British gave it back to China. And since then, it's gotten worse and worse each year. These eternal truths, though, still hold. You know, the left always wants to convince conservatives that modernity has totally changed circumstances in human nature. It hasn't. Just let, there's a great guy on the streets in Hong Kong who gave a very simple message for the United States. He goes out there and he just says, Trump, don't give in on China. China is a, and then he uses a profane word that I'm not going to use. But he's very simple. Don't give in to China. China are a bunch of jerks is what you could say. It's simple as that. They recognize the value of our civilization. We're throwing it away. And that doesn't just mean one politician is going away, one political candidate's going away, one big news story, one international sex ring, one major political issue is going away. It doesn't mean that. It means we could lose our whole civilization if we don't pay attention, if we don't try to preserve and conserve those things that have allowed us to flourish for this long. All right. 
we're, we're done flourishing for today. We will flourish again tomorrow. Tune in. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you then. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Rebecca Dobkowitz and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our production assistant is Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. On The Matt Walsh Show, we're not just discussing politics. We're talking culture, faith, family, all of the things that are really important to you. So come join the conversation.